Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord God, we are grateful for your patience with us. We'd ask that we would not try it, that we would understand what you have laid out in your scriptures, the power of your apostles, your son, your prophets. We'd ask that you would um, move us to where we need to be, to, to live with power in this community, Lord. In your son's name, amen. A few well, months ago now, there was a famous sermon preached by Evan Wilson. We know it was famous because people made fun of me for it a couple of times, at least, afterwards. Everyone thought it was, it was that sermon out of Matthew 7 on ask, seek, knock. And I commented on how it spelled the word ask. And then it became ask ministries, A-S-K, ministries. And uh, someone sent me a faked up ministry header online for Ask Ministries. Uh, and other people were joking about getting banners made for me. Uh, so it's been on my mind, just from the mockery alone. So I knew that somehow there was something in the passage that people were trying to avoid. So, uh, not, no, I'm not preaching it again. But it made me look at it. Uh, like I said, it's in Matthew 7. And I have a few verses from Matthew 7 here on the left-hand side. It has that one, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be open. Then in verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those that find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? Verse 22. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, not, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil doers. We have a lot of discussions at the big house, and just this past, that last passage alone, I think Nick, was it you who brought this passage up? Um, in a discussion about being filled with the Holy Spirit, or here are guys doing miracles that Jesus says he never knew. Well, that adds a quantity to your thinking, but not what the sermon's about this morning. But I, I threw these things out there because it seems important to God that you get where you're going, that you not be deceived, that you find something that few people find, that you don't make the big mistake of thinking that because really major religious things are going on in your life, that God isn't going to cast your sorry rear end into hell. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So it's, it's, it's really possible to miss what we're doing. It's really possible to think you've got sufficient, you know, Christianity is simple. Christianity is available to everyone. And I, you know, as a, a person who believes in freedom of the will, I believe Christ died for everyone and the, the salvation is available to everyone. And, and we have simplified it into tract form and we can have all sorts of things 
seemingly made absolutely easy. And people practice this easy Christianity and they practice it easily because they want it to be easy. They don't want a Christianity that takes too much of their attention. But I wanted to look at the very next chapter, because that took us right down to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7. And he spoke as one with authority, not as the scribes, it says, the last verse. In chapter 8, here on the right-hand side, verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountain, where the Sermon on the Mount happened, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. What we're going to look at here in chapter 8 of Matthew is elements of Christ's recognition of the faith that impresses him, the faith that pleases him, how he sees, because that's who you're trying to please in the long and short of it, right? That when he says, when we say to him, Lord, Lord, on the last day, um, we don't want him to say, I didn't know you. So we want to see what's present in the things he responds to and how he responds. You know, coming down from the mountain, you have just heard, you have just heard the Christian, well, some people call it the Christian constitution. I don't, wouldn't call it that. Um, I think that could turn into works righteousness if you did that. But, but an amazing collection of the ethics of Jesus Christ pointed right at people who aren't Jesus Christ. Amazing. One said, speaking with authority, not as the scribes. And consequently, when he came down from the mountain, the crowd is following him. As you look at yourself, you say, I don't want to be some religious schmuck who gets cast off on the last day because I was thinking it was easy and thinking it was something else and, and not concentrating on seeking him, asking him, not being aware that the way is narrow and the way is hard. So did you listen to Jesus Christ's authority? Are you in this crowd that's following him? And the leper, who has a real problem, because I don't know if you've had leprosy, but it really, from what I understand, is unpleasant, came to him and knelt before him and I don't want to make too much as if the writer of Matthew is, is trying to say, I want them to notice the word came to him and the word knelt. But I'm going to draw your attention to it because there are words there. That, that, that someone with a major need who has been prepped by this authoritative message where he goes, this guy must be Lord. <coughs> That's what he's concluded. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will. We're looking for the kind of faith. What kind of, what kind of heart, what kind of voice do you speak with? When you speak of our Christ, when you speak to your Christ, is it one who has seen his authority, followed him, comes to him, kneeling before him, addressing him as Lord? 
Right, going back to that, that uh, what's it called? Carol. Behold your king. Did you behold your king? Now what's so nice about this, I think in the Mark passage, I'm not sure it's the Mark uh, synoptic of this, it talks about the Lord's pity of the leper. Here it just says, he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. I always like the Lord's comfortable relationship to his miraculous power. Yeah, sure. Not for that reason, but for that reason. Or for here, for there. Hey, weren't ten of you healed? You know, there's a very not, oh my gosh, what I just did again. Let's start the Jesus Christ evangelistic crusade. Um, Jesus is, I will be clean. You knew the difference. Uh, well, you know, you know the difference in any situation. Fashion or... You know, the guys are going, I don't want to hear a fashion illustration of him. Okay, let's talk about gunfighting. You know the guy who wears his gun low. You know? The guy who plays his guitar at the end of the strap. Right? Not somebody who's playing up here like they just invented the electric guitar. Now the guy who's figured out my arm's this long, my pick reaches that far, I can reach down here and play like Slash. The gunfighter who has his gun low. I think it even became a cliche about wearing, you know, these, these guns that are slung low because you're a gunfighter. You want it right at the end of your arm. There's a casualness, a, a complete comfortableness with the Lord and his power. But he recognizes you want that kind of confident God, that kind of, you might say, the God who is present with his gift to you. He knows what it cost him. He still remembers 2,000 years later what it hurt like. He knows the price he paid. He knows the power he has as God omnipotent. And he's just watching you, that's all. He's watching the leper straggle out of the crowd. What's this guy coming from? What's his voice? What's he going to say? He's going to say, having dropped to his knees, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And the Lord recognizes that's much like his own prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. When you find a God, you want his ways to be sustained more than anything else. Lord, if you will, you, you can make me clean. The Lord looks at that and says, I like that. I will. You're clean. And he tells him not to tell anybody. Jesus said to him, verse 4, See that you say nothing to anyone. We have the story here in John, Matthew, so I'm assuming Matthew either heard it or the guy disobeyed something. Because a lot of the guys were told not to tell anybody and they ran off and told people. One of the things, one of the people asked, why did he say, don't tell anybody? It's almost as if 
It's almost as if the relationship between God healing you and you being healed really is for you. Really. It isn't for the movement called Christianity. It isn't for the advancement of, of Christian interests in the society. It's for you. Make sure you recognize that you are clean. Go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to the people. He didn't want him to not say he to say he wasn't clean. No, I want you to prove you're clean. Just don't tell anybody how it happened. One of the it is a, sort of an absence present, you know, thing in the word. When Christ tells you not to tell anybody but to prove that you have been changed. There's a suspicion that sometimes we're all too ready to tell people the perfect message of the gospel and work it out till we in committee until it's the perfect expression of the gospel, which is wonderful. That's great to do. But we fail to realize that the objection is not to the story. People don't go, you know, I really don't see how the atonement works. No, they actually are saying to themselves, I really don't see that it's done much for you. But when they see, when you have proved you're cleansed of leprosy because you, belt, you knelt before Jesus Christ and, and asked for his will to be done, then they're going to start asking, well, how did you become clean? Obviously, you're clean. But I don't want to dwell too much on that. That was sort of an initial you know, kind of tasty bit of Christ recognizing a guy's faith. Simple. He said this. Christ said, yeah, I see it. Verse 5, as he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him. Now this is a familiar story to you. I know. I think I was in this, in this passage oh, nine years ago. But some of you have, were here nine years ago, so you remember. Or you were covering it in Luke, perhaps. I, I, I preached on it at some point. A centurion came forward to him, beseeching him, saying... Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home in terrible distress. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered him, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard him, he marveled. It's sort of like the, I will. Be clean. Jesus is going, oh, okay. You're a Roman soldier. You really need help. That's a pretty impressive line of thinking, buddy. When, uh, ever been impressed with somebody's thinking? Somebody who caught the point? I think I was talking to, we were having a dinner discussion, I forget what it was even about, but I was posing what I thought was a difficult question, and one of the young people around the table just went, oh, it's this, explained it. I said, wow, hello, smart. Or my grandson, who is better than your kid, um, Ian, 
looking at a top, turns it upside down and says, Christmas tree. <laughs> but wait, there's more. He then held it over his head and said, umbrella. I said, this kid is too sophisticated at less than two. Some people come up in front of you. Roman soldier comes to Jesus Christ and says, look, um, I'm not worthy of you, which says two things. I know where I am and I know where you are. We make a mess of this. I am not worthy. And we somehow think that repentance and not being worthy is the end goal. To talk about your brokenness. I know you're broken. But Jesus Christ fixes the broken. And to stay broken is to insult the grace of Jesus Christ. The power of Jesus Christ. Guys, I know who I am, but I don't know who Jesus Christ is. The centurion knew who he was. He was a certain rank of the Roman legions. But he knew who Christ was. And knew who he was in relation to that. He knew his dignity in the very great chain of being. We spend an awful lot of time trying not to think like this guy. And consequently we spend a lot of time... Not making Jesus marvel. Where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. If I were looking for faith, I wouldn't have thought to find it here, but lo and behold, there it is, in a Gentile who understands the height but doesn't just understand the humbling that finding out where you are in the height is. That's good for you to learn. Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think, it says in the scriptures. But I also have to find a God in it. It's not just I learn where I am and who's I'm in charge of. The Roman centurion was in charge of people. He was actually saying to Jesus, you know, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house, but I know what it is to command a whole bunch of soldiers. I can command servants. I can command soldiers. And I have people above me. And I know in this world of people above me and people below me that I'm not worthy of you. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. That's a marvelous faith. Egalitarians rebel against this sort of thing because they think it would hurt their feelings to have any distinction made between people. How could you say such a thing? Usually I find that it's very inferior to be talking about how equal you are. That's just a thought. Meditate on it a bit. But the more pious people, we sometimes look at that as kind of a worldly incursion into the body of Christ, you know, where egalitarian notions, but real Christian notions are, are humble, right? You understand where you are. You understand that you're a, a worm and no man. But that worm and no man becomes a very proud worm and no man if your wormness is more strong than Christ's grace. Where sin abounds, what does it say? Grace abounds all the more. So you can't out-sin 
the grace of God. And if you think you have outsinned the grace of God, you're proud of how I'm a unique leper. I just came by to show you, Jesus, that this is a leprosy you can't even touch. I mean, I'm that, I'm, I'm really sick. We don't, we, we, we don't want this. What I encourage you to do is you have a chance to read through Matthew 8 again, I'm sure you will, at some point, is to be looking at these ways of thinking and saying, how, is it really, is it describing me? We're not really, you know, the centurion has gone to glory, folks. We're going to see him someday. We're going to go, hey, I never knew your name. And it'll be something like, I don't know, Marcus. And five other Latin names. We don't have to really think about him or fear for his faith, lack of faith. We know that Jesus stepped into that and got, my goodness, look at this. I tell you, many will come from east and west and sit at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness, there men will weep and gnash their teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, be it done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. There's that warning, that, that sense in the background that, boy, sons of the kingdom, people casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ, healing the sick, working works of power. And yet, it's not working out for them. The attitude of belief, the person who goes, I know what I am, I know how bad I've become, I know how sick I am, if you will, if you will be my Lord, it credits Jesus Christ with being everything and you being inadequate to it. We sometimes sidestep that by some psychological game that we don't have to admit where we are, we just have to admit that Jesus Christ is the, the, the God of Christianity and walk forward in your Baptist church or whatever kind of church it is or sign a card or tell your friends that you, you, you think of yourself as a Christian now and pretty soon all the Christians thrilled to always have converts start treating you like one and you start learning all the terms you learn how to do things and end up a son of the kingdom not someone who has stood before Christ Someone who comes from east and west and sits at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is someone who has gone through or their mindset is like the centurions. I, I know what's going Basically, you're looking at Jesus Christ and saying, I know what's going on here. I know who I am. And I know who you are. And I'm not worthy of you. But I want what you give. I understand my place. Command me. Command and things will happen. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with fever. That's Peter's mother-in-law, not Jesus' mother-in-law. He touched her hand and the fever left her. It's so sweet. You can imagine, ladies, being under the weather, being really sick. Well, Krista Davis is going to have her kidney yanked out of her and that she wants to 
you know, have Christmas at her place. And you know how your husband, he's incompetent with the laundry. I am incompetent with the laundry. A woman feels all this, you know, weight on her. And we would just like to see Jesus walk in and tenderly, Sister, be well. And she rose and served him. He goes, Jesus, I mean, for heaven's sake, Jesus, let the lady lie around for a day or two. She's been sick. Don't we? It seems like a really insensitive. It's like that time Jesus curses the fig tree that didn't have a fig on it when it wasn't fig season. Did it ever bug you? Okay, I'll let you think about that. But it's like, Jesus, okay, uh, where are the servants? Oh, what are you doing in bed? I'll fix that. Pow! Up she gets and serves the guests. But think of her. You've just suddenly been made well by the Son of God that you have wanted to serve. And now you can. Who's going to keep you from it? We're reading in our Wednesday night, Pipe Night, The Greater Trumps, and right at the end of the book, a serving girl named Amabel gets caught up into the story and she's a serving level sociologically she's serving level and, and she's so impressed with this Christian woman she is so 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 impressed and she just wants to you know the world's coming to bits because it's a Charles Williams novel the world's coming to bits and she just wants to be the right kind of servant to this Christian woman to the point where she knows she'd like to walk right up next to her right behind her but her boss is there too, so she's got to walk back behind her boss because she's the servant. But she wants to serve. She doesn't understand a thing that's going on, but she wants to serve. And we're not just encountering greatness in service because when Amabel sees this Christian, her name is Sybil, Sybil is this serving woman, absolute gift of love to people. And look at what Christ does. That evening they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. This is a life of service. Not just for Peter's mother-in-law. Not just because she was the woman in the house and had to get up and make donuts. Because Christ was making donuts, too. So much so that he looks for an escape in verse 18. Now when Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Get, get, you know, get the crowds smaller. Avoid some of this. Some of you who have put your hat in the ring about ministering to people realize that ministries walk up when you didn't want one. And you got to say something. you got to stop. You were going to get to bed early tonight, but no. No, you're not. Because they're going to ask you something. Someone's going to need an element of Christ in you, out of you. You're going to need to serve. Say, 
is my measure of Christianity a when you were becoming a Christian and I know you were meeting with your HR department about what kind of benefits are there in Christianity and how many sick days do you get vacation because you know on sick days and vacation you don't have to act like a Christian right because you negotiated that out no, guess what? It's all the time. Every day you get up, you look at at the same bedroom you went to sleep in, and Jesus Christ is still Lord in that bedroom, and Lord in the rest of your life, and you are of service to him. Because you beheld your king. It's different than what we think of it as sometimes, of being a set of benefits that not just benefits but a real gracious boss who doesn't mind if you take some pencils home so if you steal from the company he's okay with that or stretch your showing up time or your leaving time or you know you, you, you trim that Christianity behavior down to a more, you know a reasonable amount where you don't have to do as much this is not the remember Jesus Christ is all in the business of making this work out for very few so you might want to say to yourself, what if I'm making a mistake about who I think I am? Because I am not meeting, I'm not finding the marvelous faith, the heart of service, the complete understanding of him as Lord. When Jesus saw great crowds around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now these are two requests. People who have listened to his teaching, wow, they say to themselves, I want more of this. I will follow you wherever you go. And the Lord looks at him and says, do you have any idea where I'm going to be spending the night? Oh, I didn't know we're sleeping on park benches. But can't the ministry afford a Motel 6 at least? No. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Because in your mind, are you negotiating what is acceptable out of a religion? I don't think that is acceptable. Sleeping on the ground. And then a guy says, you know, I've got some things to tie up. I'll be with your ministry after a little bit, but I've got to go bury. I mean, for heaven's sake, his dad just died. I have to go bury my father. And Jesus looks at him as insensitive as he was with the mother-in-law of Peter. He's insensitive to this guy. What? What does he say? Follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. I mean, the manager, marketing manager for Christianity is going to have words with Christ. I said, don't talk like this. What if the Lord was alive today? Would he be more like Donald Trump than you want? Okay, now I have very dim views of Donald Trump's morality and 
bad man nonetheless. But what's he known for? Saying unthinkable things on his tweets. What are we told? Are we told is this is against the Christian rules to go to your father's funeral? No, it's not told you're not told that. But it's the most it's a really insensitive thing to say. Let the dead bury the dead. Do you understand how important it is that you follow me? Say that to someone who's heading off to their father's funeral. Diane's dad just died this last week. And it's a question all of us face because we're all going to be having parents die and we're all going to see our spouse, one of our spouses dying. Some of us have seen you know, worse than that. And we have to realize that none of that has any meaning, really. Jesus Christ, if I have to choose to be, you know, literally, if I had to choose between following Jesus Christ and being at my mom's funeral, I better choose Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. If you have family values higher than Christianity, you're not a Christian. I know family values are good. Show up at your mom's funeral. It's right to do. But if the Lord required you be elsewhere, you better be elsewhere. Because you've beheld your king. You didn't, other than your mom made peanut butter sandwiches for you for a long time. And I know she's dear to you. And I know she passed. And I know it's right. And I know you like the flowers. But you have to have in your mind a level of importance to Jesus Christ that he says do you know even if you offer me your following I'm going to let you know it ain't easy even if you say okay conditional I'll just do one of these responsible things first let me tidy up my life and when he got into the boat his disciples followed him and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save, Lord, we are perishing. And the Lord, once again, did not understand their brokenness. Once again, in one chapter, he's running through these lives like a bull in a china shop. Why are you afraid, O oh men of little faith? Yawning, groggy, standing in a boat that's going like this, like that. Jews hanging onto the gunnels. Afraid, saying to their Lord, Lord, save us. We're perishing. And he's looking at it because he's got great sea legs. He's God. <laughs> you know, he's looking at him like, what are you thinking? Why are you afraid? When Peter walks on the water, remember that situation? The guy just walked on the water and started to sink. What did Jesus say to him? What are you doing? Why are you sinking? I just walked on the water, Lord, a little bit. I thought that would impress you. No, why did you lose faith? Do you realize you have got to grab your faith like it's your pants? You know if your pants ever fell down? Have you ever been depanted? 
I've been, you know, not by somebody, but just because I didn't have suspenders on and I was working in the yard and they just dropped. <laughs> Luckily, it's not a crowded neighborhood. But boy, you adjust that. You adjust it quickly. You don't just waddle to the house looking for a room to pull them up in. You pull them up right away. This is what everybody's going to remember about the sermon. He talked about being depanted. What are we doing? What are we designing? How are we? How are we measuring how we believe? The disciples think they're just reacting with normal concerns. Really reasonable fear. Responsible fear. And Jesus isn't putting up with it. He wants you to adjust to the narrower way. Find him. Have your life be changed. Think like a Christian. Think like a Christian who has beheld their king and knows what a king is about. Knows that you don't deserve a minute of his attention, but you know he's given it to you. And you know how you feel when a king that you don't deserve a minute of his attention gives that minute to you. And when he came to the other side, oh, the phrase here in verse 27, the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? The narrow way, you better figure out what it is and you better figure out who it's for. So that question had better be answered. Who is this? Who is Jesus Christ? Is he the comfortable Jesus of so many churches, of so many countries, and so many centuries? Or is it very uncomfortable? When he came to the other side of the country of the Gadarenes, two demoniacs met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come to here to torment us before the time? And I was just thinking when I read that, that, oh, like so many Christians who would, would, would like to have, okay, Jesus, let's not have it start quite yet. Let's not get down to business quite yet. Let's, have you, have you, are you tormenting me before the time? We want to have a little more time to be what we are. Lord, was it Augustine said, uh, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet. You know, give me victory over a lot of things, Lord, but not quite yet. Don't make this happen before the time. And what I love about the demons, because there's a bunch of demons in this story, and they're all like really concerned, and they know who they're dealing with. There's no question in their mind about faith in Jesus Christ. Like James says, do you do well to believe? Well, even the demons believe and shudder. They are, not only do the demons believe, absolutely, there's no question in their mind that Jesus Christ is Lord. They are as orthodox as you can imagine. Okay? They've got all the right positions about what he and who he is. And it's, it's not even on a, a dull, physical, 
terrestrial, mundane plane. It's on a metaphysical plane. They, they're walking around, you know, the spacey parts of nature, being spacey beings, knowing the truth about Jesus Christ, metaphysically, without question, and it's a demonic faith. We have a place we've made for our religion. Dangers of a building and the heat coming on at the right time. We should have it not work some Sunday just to see whether or not you'll stay here. Because what do we do? We create little homes, living in community. Please do not use that phrase with me ever. You live in a community, you don't live in community. Get your knit cap all the way back on your head. We have a great town here, a very self-aware downtown. We have taco trucks, just, just like Portland. We have trucks that I can get my food out of because Lord knows I have a kitchen at home, but I need to be at the taco truck. I could brew coffee better than anywhere else at home, but I need to be at a coffee place. The community we've created, the community we've created is what we'd like to keep. Now that's the hipster version, you know, the people who want to be seen about town with the knit cap in community. There are others who like older school Christian businessmen who want that mutual benefit of capitalism working just fine, purring along like, a, like an engine where, yeah, not too many things are looked at too closely about how moral some of the action is. Or some of you might have your own private little Idaho where you have a way of being that you think because you're the wonder that is you, Jesus will let you be you. Oh, you're a schmuck. Okay? Some of you. Some of you I like. I even like the schmucks. You're done with that. You're a Christian now. You don't get to keep your community. You don't get to... You know, you get, yeah, you can wear a knit cap on the back of your head if you want, but no, it's a knit cap and it means nothing. You don't, don't live there instead of living in Christ. Don't live in capitalism instead of living in Christ. And don't live in the comfort of your own way of doing things instead of in Christ. Because that's what happened at the end of this. He casts out the demons, sends them into the herd of pigs. The herdsmen fled, verse 33, going into the city. They told everything. And what had happened to the demoniacs? Solved a big problem. I mean, these were like the Balrog, right? You shall not pass. You can't get into town. Because of these crazy guys. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. Hey, it's a revival. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their neighborhood. Thank you. We'd rather have the comfortable arrangement. We had the demoniacs in the tombs. That was fine. Make sure it kept some outsiders from coming in. But we got a nice balance of, you know, trade from the other roads that could get into the town. And we didn't need this. Thank you. We don't need some healed demoniacs. You can always beg Jesus Christ to leave. If you don't like what you're running across in the New Testament, to so say, couldn't we make this church more liberal? 
Couldn't we just ask everybody here to do it? Or let's just do it our own way. Let's have a church that serves what we want churches to serve. But Jesus Christ wants to be served by his believers. And this church is going to do that as much as it can. The last thing on my mind regarding this at the end of the passage, you say, it's over time, Evan. Yeah, but you didn't come back from coffee in time. And you know the rule. Third, second law of the means of the Persians, which cannot be changed, is this. The sermon never gets shorter. Now, the last thing, though, you say, ah, oh, then there's the prayer. The last thing is, this is just an examination. We're just looking at moments of faith, moments of Christ going, yeah, and I'm going to do this. And we want to know because we know that, that the way is narrow and hard. And he, he doesn't... Many are called, but few are chosen. Think about it. Are you? Not just, do you think you're a Christian? But does God think you're a Christian? That's the bigger question. And where you look at things like this to help you out. Have I had the faith? Do I live for Jesus Christ? Have I beheld a king? Do I bow the knee? When I don't, when I insist on my attitudes, when I insist on my business, when I insist on how hip I am, instead of Jesus Christ, do I know I've sinned? So it's not just a knowledge of things. It's not just, oh, well, look at those study points. These are things that are either right or they're wrong. And if you're wrong, you go home and you say, Lord, I'm wrong. I am bowing the knee, not my will, thine be done. You confess it to him. You don't just know it yourself. Confess it. He has to know you know it. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your mercy in all of this. We constantly bring our sins to you and our folly to you and you wonderfully forgive every single time. We'd ask that we bring this unbelief or this folly about how we're living our lives and chasing after you but not. Help us each to become the kind of Christian that scares us to be around. In your son's name, amen.